coming up on This Week in Games. Tencent owns the entire game industry. Australia throws the book at Valve and a rivalry heats up in North Carolina. Coming up This Week in Games. Hello and welcome to This Week in Games. I'm your host, Eric McConnell, and I'm here to break down all the gaming goodness over the last seven days. We've had a pretty interesting week, and we're going to start off with Tencent. Tencent's normally acquisition of the week, but this week it's Tencent acquisition of the year. Tencent has reported it has invested $22 billion in the game industry over the last 12 months. That's insane. The Chinese tech giant is responsible for a whopping 40% of all game industry funding last year. That's insane. Absolutely ridiculous. And I love Tencent for its lack of subtlety in owning most of the game industry. In fact, in a lot of categories, Tencent owns large chunks of both the number one and number two competitor within that gaming genre. It's crazy. So let's go. Let's look at a few more stats. Tencent was also involved um, looking at dollars. Over three quarters of all game industry mergers and acquisitions in the same period. If you guys remember a few weeks ago, I reported Tencent bought up 5% of Vivendi's ownership in Ubisoft. That was reported um, $2 billion deal. So just that alone put them up there, but, um, three quarters of all industry mergers and acquisitions, that's ridiculous. So I think we've all learned something. If you listen to this podcast week over week and that's a Tencent owns the game industry and B, if you want to do any business in China, your best bet is to give Tencent like 10 to 20% of your company and let them do the rest because they own everyone. Um, we're going to move on to Australia. Australia finds Valve $2.3 million for misleading Steam users. So, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, ACCC, claims Steam did not entitle refunds for faulty games. Now, most of you are going, well, Steam entitles refunds for anything right now. This case was brought up in 2014. The court ruled in the ACCC's favor in 2016 and Valve appealed that ruling and then Valve is recently two years later after that lost the ruling. The Australian law guarantees refund rights on all faulty products and uh, this lawsuit was brought before Valve you know allowed refunds for all games even if you, you just don't like a game you can return it on Steam. Um, the other aspect of this is Valve doing business in Australia must comply with all Australian laws so that's pretty common in most countries anyways. But $2.3 million, I mean, I think Valve really fucked up here because they have to pay $2.3 million, but this has been in litigation for four years. And so they lose litigation and have to pay uh, the Australian government. I don't see what they really earned by fighting this all this time. And you know, frankly, they were clearly in the wrong by selling faulty Steam games. Because if anyone remembers back in the day, like 2014, you could, if it wasn't one of the most popular Steam games, you could download a game and it just might not work, or, you know, sound might not work, levels might not load. And there's just about nothing you could do about it. So, uh, 
Valve sucks to be you, um, but I think you deserve this for fighting this for four years, knowing that you were in the wrong. So next up, we have rogue Minecraft skins causing malware infecting 50,000 players. So skins uploaded to the official Minecraft site have been found to execute malware in the game. So you guys might go, well, how can that happen? Well, skins in Minecraft are just PNG files and PNG files, depending on, you know, how you interpret them are subject to executing malicious code in very specific ways. In this case, it was executing um, malicious commands not intended to be executed within Minecraft itself. Don't worry, Microsoft has released an update and, you know, hopefully we won't see this in the future, but it's pretty sad that <laughs> someone managed to do this. Next up, we have Twitch and NBA 2K League enter a multi-year agreement. So Twitch and, you know, all of its competitors with YouTube gaming and whatever that Microsoft one was called and whatever the Facebook one was called, I don't even remember at this point. But everyone's been fighting over exclusivity over these various esports leagues. So Twitch bought up another one. So NBA 2K League is actually Take-Two's owned, owned league um, for esports for NBA 2K. And so Take-Two is taking the esports into its own hands, creating a league, and then they model it exactly after the NBA. So there's a draft, there's a preseason, there's a regular season, there's a playoffs. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how many NBA 2K players are out there. And frankly, like, I don't really like sports simulated games. It's really hard for me to understand the breakdown. Um, like, who's going to sit there and watch? Uh, I think they said 219 games this year for NBA 2K League in total. Who's going to watch 219 simulated basketball games when there's just as many regular basketball games you could watch. So Twitch is the only place to watch this league, and I'm sure most of you can't wait to tune in for more NBA 2K League. And following that, we have Guild Wars 2. Um, Guild Wars 2 developers accused of using spyware to identify cheaters. So ArenaNet has now banned 1,500 players over the use of third-party software that is used to cheat in the game Guild Wars 2. In this specific case, the software was a bot that would play the game for the players when they weren't even at the computer. So they could, you know, level up and gain loot without even playing the game. So what ArenaNet's accused of is downloading spyware onto people's computers. ArenaNet would periodically check the list of running processes on a player's computer for ones with the same name as the bot. Not very sophisticated, anyways. The software Arena used, ArenaNet used is categorized as spyware, and it's pretty shady if you ask me. But on the flip side, you know, how do you distinguish if people are cheating or not? You know, this goes back and forth. So a lot of companies use these third-party um, kind of anti-cheating software. But if you actually run any legitimate um, spyware, malware, um, antivirus, while these third-party softwares from these developers are running on your computer, your computer will actually identify it as malware because it is a program sifting through your processes when it shouldn't have access to or shouldn't be doing that. Interesting. Um, I don't think the cheaters have a case for an argument, but 
I don't really know a better solution besides what ArenaNet's doing. So whatever. Let's move on. Google Play is under investigation by the Korean FTC. So that's not the the same FTC that we have over here. It's the Korean Fair Trade Commission. And they are surveying whether Google used its position in the market to force developers to only publish their platform. So basically, um, they're accusing Google of going to developers and strong-arming them and saying, you're releasing your game exclusively on Google Play and not on any other store. So for those of you who don't know, Google dominates the Asian market with 90% of all mobile phones being Android. So this is a big deal. Um, this started over two lineage games. Not surprising because Korea loves lineage. Um, this started because of NCSoft's Lineage M, the M being mobile, and Netmarble's Lineage 2 Revolution, which is repackaging Lineage 2 as an autoplay mobile MMO. And both of those games only launched on the Google Play Store, which prompted a lot of users to kind of complain to the Korean FTC and started the investigation. So we'll see what comes out of that. Activision Blizzard hires Nielsen for its esports analytics. So Nielsen, everyone knows, back in the day, well, actually, most people probably don't know now. Um, back in the day before we had streaming services and everything, you could only watch TV live through cable or over-the-air um, antennas. And so Nielsen was a company that would pay people, then install a box to then track what they watched. And then list the demographics. So like white male, 28, lives in Utah, watch these shows this time of week. They would use all that data and then sell it to advertisers or companies. So they would know who, what channels and what time periods and what shows to target for their specific demographics for their brands and products. So Activision Blizzard hired Nielsen's for its esports analytics. So Nielsen's goal is to assess the value of sponsorship package, packages to see if brands are getting their money's worth. So what's really interesting about this, I mean, because most of you will be like, well, that's normal. I mean, what? I mean, Nielsen knows how to do this stuff. What does it matter? Well, what's interesting is Activision Blizzard is footing the bill for this valuation, which means, in my opinion, this means a lot of brands are complaining about the effectiveness of esports advertising in their leagues. So if I read between the lines here and I make some assumptions, the overall story really is Overwatch League probably isn't pulling the numbers it boistered and promised when it, before it launched, and uh, companies are pissed about the amount of money they spent on it. I think if I remember correctly, like um, team fees for Overwatch League were in the range of $10 million. So I can only imagine what big brand sponsorship um, and the Overwatch League would net. So probably not a good sign. It's pretty interesting, though. Um, I don't actually know how this story leaked or why Blizzard um, would advertise that they're doing this, but we'll see what happens. All right, so now we have our juicy gossip story of the week. Cliffy B claims Epic Games is stealing his staff. So <laughs> Cliff Blazinski, uh, co-founder of Boss Key, Former Epic Games head and the frontman of Boss Key is calling out the company that made him a household name in the game industry for stealing staff. Okay, so Cliff Blazinski's been with Epic forever. 
I think he was originally a level designer on the first Unreal, worked his way up, was some kind of director, and then he actually ran and created, or is kind of like name credited for creating and running the entire uh, Gears of War series. So Gears of War 1, 2, and 3. After 3, he was burnt out, took some time off, left Epic Games, and then he made Boss Key um, Productions or whatever. So Blazinski listed and named a mini boss key employees that fled back to Epic. So assuming he took all these employees with him to form boss key. And now all these employees are leaving boss key going back to Epic. Not terribly surprising. Um, boss key had a lackluster, um, you know, performance on lawbreakers, their arena team based shooter. And they're following that up with an 80s-themed Battlegrounds game, but this is like the fourth Battlegrounds game getting released this month. So unless this game is drastically like better than all the competition, it's probably going to also have a lackluster performance. And to add to the drama, we have some backhanded responses. I'll highlight one of them. William McCarroll, a former Bosky employee that left for Epic, said, With all due respect... Assuming that Epic is the one starting contact and poaching is a bit presumptuous. Ouch. <laughs> so basically he's saying, you're stupid, Cliffy B, because we're not getting poached and approached by Epic. We're actually approaching Epic ourselves and trying to get jobs there, which is even worse. Um, so pretty much everyone's trying to flee Bosky with lack of faith at this point. And to make things even better... This all takes place in North Carolina, and both companies basically are geographically within driving distance of each other. So it's great. I love it. I love this. I'm from North Carolina. I like to see these guys fight. <laughs> it's entertainment for me. Um, yeah, not good. It's not good for Bosky. Um, I really wish Bosky would do something more than Radical Heights because... Lawbreakers had some really great gameplay mechanics, some really great ideas. Sure, the execution might not have been great and never picked up steam. But then you have Radical Heights, and it's just like, ugh, it looks like Fortnite without all the building and then more 80s references and stuff. But at this point, like when I was in the 90s and early 2000s, everyone kind of knew 80s references somewhat. But now in 2018, it's like we have kids. Does a 12-year-old really know 80s references? Is he going to find that cool? I don't know, man. <sighs> I guess we'll just see what happens. And finally, uh, the final news of the week. EA claims it can't afford another loot box controversy. <laughs> I can't even finish the story. And also claims it learned its lesson with the Star Wars loot box controversy. And all I have to do is laugh very loud. Good one, EA. Good one. Yeah. Sure you learned your lesson and sure you can't afford another loot box controversy. In reality, um, we'll see loot boxes in every EA game coming out because at this point they already made a, a big grandstand to their shareholders on how they don't want to even do box games anymore. They only want to do games as a service. And how do games as a service make all their money? It's not through subscriptions. It's through gambling. So, good job, EA. No one bought that. All right, let's get to some business news. Unicorn, spelled U-N-I-K-R-N. Unicorn is a cryptocurrency for esports betting. 
The unicorn uh, cryptocurrency esports betting platform has acquired challengeme.gg. So with this, Unicorn plans to be the first platform that allows players to bet against each other using their own cryptocurrency, Unicorn Gold. Right now, the platform focuses only on CSGO, um, but they plan to add Dota 2, and they're looking in the possibility of PUBG, Fortnite, or any other games in the future. If you're going to do this, no one is saltier, no one is angrier, no one makes rasher decisions in the fighting game community, so Unicorn jump on the FGC. Anyways, I will say this is a pretty smart move because what do you need to make tons of money with a cryptocurrency? You need lots of uh, lots of movement in the currency, lots of usage, people liquidating it. Pretty smart. So you create a cryptocurrency, you want to cash out, you figure out how to allow people to gamble with it because obviously with loot boxes and everything else in life... Um, People just can't figure out how not to gamble. So people are gambling with it. The price drives up. You profit because what? You're like the initial miner of the cryptocurrency. So assuming that, you probably have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of shares of this unicorn gold. And then you cash out. You make tons of money and you drop the company. So pretty smart business plan, unicorn. But I don't think you're going to get away with this in America, at least. If this really caught on... God, it would be like, what, a few months before the FBI starts an investigation along with uh, along with the IRS and the Secret Service for f- fraud or anything else they can come up with. I'm sure these people aren't paying, uh, paying taxes on this cryptocurrency winnings either. So good idea. Probably not going to run in America, but maybe in other countries it'll take off. All right. More business news. Capcom Vancouver officially closing Puzzle Fighter Mobile. So it was released in 2017, November 2017. Puzzle Fighter Mobile released to the world. And July 1st, 2018, the game will be shut down permanently. So I'm not even going to dive any more into the details of this. I'm going to complain about this terrible game. So... This was a really, really, really bad implementation of a game that I loved, specifically in college, playing with my friends on the PS3 HD Remix. The game had very, very good core mechanics that would translate perfectly to synchronous multiplayer, but instead of figuring out how to add progression systems onto each of these individual like um, matches, so instead of taking... The core mechanics of Puzzle Fighter and adding progression to the matches, who you fight, um, what your daily matches are like, and so on. They decided to add progression systems to the actual mechanics of the game, thus taking out the most important part of the game, which is skill. So instead of figuring out how to, like, you know, get people to fill progression through learning the game and mastering the mechanics, they turn the mechanics into kind of a number-driven RPG system mechanic. So now you just make matches and quote-unquote do damage to the other person. Whereas before, it was playing similar to like a more complicated version of playing Tetris against each other where you would send um, peace drops to the other person trying to get their screen to fill up like Tetris. So it was just a terrible, terrible, lazy implementation, Capcom. And uh, yeah, um, you guys deserve it. Capcom Vancouver, shame on you for making this terrible game. And for anyone who wants to actually play the real version of Puzzle Fighter, please go download the HD remix on whatever console you prefer, because I'm sure it's out on most of them.
So finally, don't nod. The developer behind Life is Strange wants to head towards an IPO. So the French palindrome, don't nod. Okay, I know most of you probably didn't catch that. Don't nod is a palindrome spelt forward and backwards, blah, blah, blah has filed to be listed on the Euronext Growth Stock Exchange. So <laughs> the developers actually claim this IPO isn't a cash grab. It's to assist the investments from publishers in development of their upcoming game, Vampire. That's bad news. If you think IPOing is your way of assisting in publisher investment, man, you your studio must be in shambles because... As far as I can tell, Don't Nod is really only known for the Life is Strange series, which is a kind of episodic PlayStation Network download game. It was really popular, but not something like crazy big that's just generating profits like Matt. And it's clearly not generating enough revenue for them to fund development of their other games. So not a very smart choice because, frankly... <laughs> Who's going to invest in this IPO? I don't think hedge funds are like just waiting on the edge of their seat for the life and strange developers to IPO so that they could take a piece of the company. So, yeah, I don't know. Very strange move, very not wise move, and you really only have a chance to IPO once. So you're kind of just shooting yourself in the foot in multiple ways. But, I mean, I, I wish you best of luck, Don't Nod. Um, let's move on to people news. Ben Brode, Hearthstone game director, leaves Blizzard. So what is he doing? He's starting his own game company, of course. And he gave this whole speech, but I'm not going to read it. Um, Brode has been with Blizzard for 15 years, 10 of which were on Hearthstone. He does have a great story. He started off as a night QA tester, which when he describes it, it sounds like the lowest, lowest, lowest position. The janitor probably has more game development respect. (laughs) <laughs> than the night QA tester. Worked his way from there all the way up to Hearthstone game director. Good job on you. You stayed with the company for 15 years. That's insane. I can't even stay with the company past two years. And now you're going to leave and start your own company. I am worried because obviously he wants to make his own games, and that's great. But when people get excited, I think people don't take in, people as in fans, I mean, Fans don't take into account that this guy was only a minuscule part of a giant team that made Hearthstone, right? And so what sucks is he's going to go make his own company, and if he's not bringing all the key other key members of Hearthstone with him, his own company will likely not produce the same quality of game as Hearthstone because, you know, you see this title, oh, game director, but in reality, it's hundreds of people making thousands of decisions that lead to a game being good or not, and he's going to go start his own game company, and that's great. Uh, I don't think it'll be of quality, especially because he's mainly only worked at one company his entire career, so God, I just, like, shitted on this guy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ben Brode. You do it. You go get yours. (laughs) Next up, Daryl Gallagher, former Crystal Dynamics studio head, joins Microsoft. So this guy has a crazy resume. Resume. He was Crystal Dynamics studio head. He was at Square Enix. He was at Rockstar. He was at Sony. And he recently just left an Activision SVP role, senior vice president role of development. 
Um, and he left Activision. Now he's going to Microsoft. So he's just trying to stamp every big game industry company on his resume passport. And he's joining Microsoft as the quote-unquote Microsoft Studios executive leadership team. And that's T's big announcements coming to E3. Of course, who doesn't have big announcements coming to E3? So I guess we'll just see what these big announcements are coming up at E3. All right, I have one bad story for the week. Smilegate closes their Berlin office. So a year after opening, the developers of the art or the the developers of the first-person shooter Crossfire have closed their German studio offices. So Smilegate um, is an Asian first-person shooter company. They make Crossfire. Crossfire is actually really big in Asia. Six hundred and fifty million um, registered players, eight million concurrents, and it no one's really heard of it outside of Asia. So they opened up this Smilegate opened up a Berlin office to try to break the European market. Didn't even remotely work, and they're closing it and re-strategizing what to do now. That's rough. Um, hopefully, not too many people lost their jobs, and hopefully. The Germany game industry is uh, enough to support these people, and they can just find other offices to work at. And on that sad note, uh, <laughs> that's the end of This Week in Games. I'm Eric McConnell. I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.